McShane, day 209, and we're starting in Judges 11, and this is the story of Jephthah. And he's not a particularly famous judge, probably because he did something extremely foolish. So he's he's kind of an orphan, right? He's the son of a harlot, but he his, his father has an established family, um, and his brothers don't like him, and they kick him out of the family, even though, I mean, well, not even though, but he also happens to be a great warrior. So then the, you know, the people, once again, to kind of turn away from the God, the, the um, Ammonites, or Amorites, Ammonites, came and uh, were attacking them, causing them difficulty. And so they knew that Jephthah was a great warrior. So they came and said, hey, if you'll come and lead us, we'll let you be head of us. And he made sure that they were promised. He said, okay. So he came, he challenged the head of the Ammonites, and they went to battle. And as he's going to battle, he, see, he's, he's got an orphan spirit. You know what that means? A son knows his place in the family. A son mm-hmm. knows that he's loved by the father, that one day he'll be the father, that his place is secure in the family. God wants us to be mature sons in his house, right? An orphan is what Adam became. It's, it's, it's what people in general are, but some people more than others. And you see this a lot with uh, individuals, and it's, it's becoming a huge problem in our society because so many uh, families now, the father's not around. And, and so you have this orphan spirit where you're constantly feeling... These people constantly feel like they have to prove something. They have to, they, they either they're constantly, um, it, it can, it can show itself in various ways. They can feel like constantly, um, mistreated and, and kind of, you know, complaining and feeling sorry for themselves. Or they can feel, sometimes these people go and accomplish incredible things in the world because they feel like they're not enough and they have to go accomplish incredible things in order to validate who they are. It's either way, it's the orphan spirit. You see that? Well, this, this man, he makes a foolish vow. And for what? Just to show that he's willing to vow something unknown? It's foolishness. So he vows he's going to kill the first thing that comes out of his house. Why does God want the first thing that comes out of his house killed? What good is that to God? God never plus, said... And plus, wouldn't his daughter come out of the house? Or his wife come out of the house? Could first? be his wife, could be a servant. I mean, either way, it's going to be something this close to him, right? And good chance it's family. It's just a ridiculous vow. And he opens his mouth and, you know... We, you never vow something that you don't know exactly. I mean, first of all, you know, Jesus and Paul teach us don't vow anything. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. In other words, do what you say. You know, do what you're supposed to do, and that's it. You don't have to make promises. Just say, I will do it, and that's enough. Um, but in this case, he makes a loud mouth promise about how he's going to kill the first thing that comes out of his mouth, and it ends up being his daughter, and and he feels the need to you know, to do it. Next, we're in Acts 15. And what stood out to me in this chapter is how much in in the different stories, the culture of the people of God is 
is being worked through and established. It's a new thing that the people are having to do. And so you see people come up from Jerusalem to tell the people in, where the Antioch, um, that you, you must be circumcised, as Moses said, or you cannot be saved. And so the people there start having big arguments. Paul and Barnabas are arguing with them. The people decide, okay, why don't you guys go down to Jerusalem and we need to know the real answer. We need this settled. Do we need to do that or not? They get down. Uh, many people think, yeah, of course, because they're all Jews. They've all been circumcised, right? And Moses, I mean, Moses said this very clearly, right? Um, and to Abraham even. <laughs> I mean, the circumcision goes back... Even before Moses, it was Abraham. And so there, there's, yeah, this needs to be done. And, and Peter stands up and says, hey, don't you remember when I spoke to the house of the centurion? The Lord gave the Holy Spirit without any sort of physical thing. So why are you putting burdens on them that our fathers were not able to carry? We know that we're saved through the grace of the blood of Christ. And so let's not put burdens on them. And so James stands up and he quotes some scripture and he says, here's my idea. And they basically follow it. And the scripture quotes is, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. So he's saying when the people of God no longer represent him, God will do away with that old thing, but he will preserve the ancient, the way of God that has been God's plan for mankind from the beginning, and he will rebuild it. And so they say, okay, well, let's establish some four hard, fast rules that just cannot be broken. And what you'll see is these things are being broken left and right all over the place, right? I think this is interesting because you have people saying, oh, we have this grace. Yeah, grace, we have mercy. Yeah, we have mercy. But here they're actually digging into this question and they came up with four rules. They said that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols. What does that mean? It means don't mix your religion with other religions. Keep Keep your worship of God pure. Don't mix in fertility goddesses with their rabbits and their and their eggs into worshiping the Lord being risen. Right? Don't start doing yoga or whatever Hindu practice you come up with next and acting like that's no big deal. Right? It's saying take spiritual things seriously. And don't think it's okay to mix them. And abstain from blood. Well, more and more restaurants... I, I don't think I've ever seen blood on the menu, but more and more restaurants are serving this, right? It's not a problem for most people, but in these uh, food shows, they it seems to be spreading this idea that, oh yeah, we'll just drink the blood. Well, the life is in the blood. God doesn't want us drinking the blood. And what has been strangled... Don't think that's a big issue for most of us. And from sexual immorality. Sex is made by God to be a wonderful thing between a man and a woman in marriage. Nothing else. 
The world has gone crazy thinking those rules don't apply to them. And historically, what you see is, and you see it in the Bible, and you see it throughout history, when sexual immorality is rampant, also all kinds of witchcraft, all kinds of uh, mixing in other things with God uh, become rampant, and uh, these things are interlinked. And so he says, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. And then they send them off. And so Paul and Barnabas go back, and they have now Judas and Silas with them. And um, they they go up and they say the word. And then we see Paul and Barnabas. They're like, hey, let's go on another mission to back to see the people that we already established in the Lord and the kingdom in throughout the Greek world. And they say, yeah, let's do it. And so Barnabas wants to bring his cousin, John Mark. You know, Mark that wrote uh, the gospel that we're about to get into. And... Paul says, no, he ditched us last time. We're not bringing him. I can't depend on him. Barnabas' name is Son of Encouragement. And um, and so then they split up. They couldn't, they couldn't come to agreement on that. And I'm sure they both went and did good work. But you see they're having difficulty. You see that things are not settled in, in how they're treating each other, how they're working together. And Paul is still a little rough around the edges. And, and so what we can infer from the scripture is Barnabas was willing to lower himself and raise Mark up. And later we see that Paul considers Mark indispensable in his help to him. Um, what does that mean? It means <clears throat> Paul felt like he couldn't do it without Mark, that Mark was a huge help to him. And so he, he praised him later on in a letter. But right here, he wants nothing to do with him. You see that? Mm -hmm. And so, they're learning how to get along. They're learning, okay, we're all excited. It's kind of like that Chosen show we watch where they're all arguing with each other and Matthew and uh, Jesus are standing on the hill looking down <coughs> and Matthew tells Jesus, well, they they all want to, or maybe it was somebody else. No, it was um, Thomas telling the girl, um, well, they all love Jesus and they want to follow him, but they can't agree on what that looks like. <laughs> right? Well, here you see similar kind of things. They're, they're struggling to figure out what is this way of serving God? What does that look like? And, and so that's just kind of what stands out to me. And, and then we'll move on. So Jeremiah 24 short, God gives him a vision Jeremiah, of uh, two baskets of figs, really good figs and really bad figs. And this is right after Nebuchadnezzar had hauled off Jeconia and um, the king and all the craftsmen and metal workers and brought them back to Babylon. And the figs, so a couple of different, there's, there's a lot of pictures like that. Figs, as we just talked about, the fig tree is a picture of Israel, often in the Bible. We see Jesus, right? Kind of towards the end of Jesus' ministry, when they're about to kill him, he curses the fig tree, and they come back, and the fig tree's dead. It's a picture of this this Israel, this old way, is about to shrivel up and die. In the same way, God shows him that these fig trees... And, and so think about the two women in Revelation. You have uh, the, the one woman in Revelation 12 who goes through a very difficult time, he is attacked, but protected by God. 
You have the other harlot woman who goes and makes herself all glorious. She's riding the beast, but in the end, she's destroyed, right? It's kind of like the two two baskets of figs here. Um, then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like those good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles. Whoops. Regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. He's saying, I've taken them through a very difficult time. You know, because they had to be disciplined, they had to be trained, that their old ways will not work anymore. But, because I've taken them out of this old system, and I've planted them, I will bring them back, and I will reestablish the ancient ruins. Right, just as we read in Acts. I will reestablish mm-hmm. the ancient ruins with my remnant people, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, and they will return to me with their whole heart. You see that? God wants a people that will give him everything. And Mm -hmm. through those people, he will do everything through us and bless us more than we can imagine. But as we started before we started recording, we talked about kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. We have to violently say, yes, God, I want to be set away, set apart from the ways of this world, even my old life, and give everything to you. Return to me with their whole heart. And then I will bless them. You see that? But then, but thus says the Lord, like the bad figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten, so will I treat Zedekiah, king of Judah, his officials, the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land, and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. So he goes on to say, I'm going to judge them. It's it's pain and suffering for them. They think they're the blessed ones because they stayed in this land. But that's not what I'm doing. I'm not doing that thing anymore. That thing no longer represents me. I'm going to use this other people that look like they've gone through hell but they have turned their hearts back to me and i will use them and i will bless them see that and we wrap up in mark 10 and the first thing comes and the pharisees ask them ask jesus if it's lawful for a man to divorce his wife and he asks about what moses said and they said you can have a certificate of divorce and then divorce your wife or husband and jesus says five because of your hardness of heart he wrote you this commandment see a lot of the laws have to do with our hearts being hard and so we're looking for what is the bare minimum that i have to do to be good with god and therefore can live my own way so all the laws basically are like this or they can be a guideline to teach us to look for God and find God right and so he's saying look God established marriage verse 8 and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh what therefore God has joined together let not man separate so he says Marriage is a holy union. A new spiritual creation has been made here between a man and a woman. 
and it, it becomes the the womb of family family is essential to God and his plans and his purpose and he says God has created this union who are you to separate it why don't you instead of thinking about separating it humble yourself and fix things right and so he says it's your hardness of heart that's led you to want to do some other way then he lets the children come he said you can only enter the kingdom if you receive it like a child because it's a new way of life a new way of thinking you're not going to be able to enter in if you continue to use your old way of thinking which was of the world right you're going to have to learn a new way no matter how young or old you are God's way is not like our ways. His ways are higher than ours. And so we have to learn his ways if we want to enter the kingdom. 18, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? So this is probably Mark, right? Maybe not. Maybe it's some other. It's, it's the rich young ruler. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Well, we think Jesus is pretty good, right? He says, you don't understand how good God is. And we who are stuck in this broken world fall short. Even the one who is perfect and without sin. So if you, if you even are looking at me, just look to God. He is good. 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. So I over this last week, the Lord's been showing me that I'm, I haven't been giving him everything. And so I'm, I'm going to be giving him more of myself, dying to more of myself. And that's, that's what he's saying to him. For, for this man, maybe it was Mark, your treasure is holding you back, right? All your riches are making you not give everything to the Lord because you've got one foot in this world. So we have to ask ourselves, what is it that's holding me, tying me to this world? Because right now, the kingdom of heaven is suffering violence. And whatever foot or handhold that we have in this world is the entryway for us to be attacked by the enemy. It's only when we're fully his that we cannot be touched by the enemy. You see that? And so that attacks are actually, actually a blessing because it wakes us up to, hey, I have left a door open to the enemy to get at me. And so I'm going to violently shut this door, even though it means I have to die more to myself. And I didn't want to die to that part of myself. But it's time. And so, Lord, I'm fully yours. Heal me. I repent. Help me to grow past this. Help me to be completely pure in you, to turn away from my desires in this world and give you everything. And so we know if this was Mark, Mark did do that eventually. But even it took him time. In Acts 15, where we just were, you know, Paul's like, I don't want to bring him. He messed up, right? So even after he did. So we see this happened, and then he came to the Lord. And we know Barnabas gave some property. Maybe Mark was given property. We, we don't know those details. But then he, he kind of failed on Paul at one point. But you know what? He kept seeking the Lord. The Lord kept forgiving him. And he becomes a priceless part of the those building the kingdom of God. You see that? 27. Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. 
If we give God all of who we are, he will accomplish far more than we can imagine. None of us. Jesus said, no one's good, not even me. So it certainly means none of us are good, right? If we get any illusions that we're good people, we're fooling ourselves. We're tricked by the enemy. It's not about our goodness. It's about our willingness to lay our lives down for the Lord and allow him to do what he will with us, that we continually seek him and he transforms us. It's impossible for us. It's absolutely possible for God. It's not only possible, it is his plan for us. And then he tells them he's going to die. James and John want to be at his right and left hand. Verse 40, but to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So are those, there are positions for those at Jesus' right and left hand, apparently, that God the Father will choose. He says, that, that even that is beyond me. I'm simply obeying what I see the Father doing. You're asking for something that comes from the hand of the Father. I'm not worrying myself about those things. I'm simply submitting my life to the Father and doing what He would have me do. And He will sort out all those things in the end. Right? Mm-hmm. But it's, a, it's kind of a glorious, beautiful thing that He will bring all of time, all the people that have been a part of His purpose and bring us into His throne room. That we are His family, representing Him for all eternity. Right? And then Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus, 51. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Well, let me ask you this. Is getting his eyesight back the highest, best thing he could have asked for? No. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Man, that's a big open-ended offer, right? He had faith that Jesus could give him sight. Do we seek Jesus in faith for a little thing or for everything? He wants to give us so much more than physical healing. He wants to give us so much more than pretty much anything we can imagine. If we understand the truths of what it means to be a mature son in God's household. He wants to give us this, but we have to actually want it. We have to have faith that he will do it, and we have to have commitment to seek him in it and slowly be transformed and placed in this position. You see that? Mm-hmm. It's God's plan for us. God, we thank you for this mighty vision, this mighty plan, this reality. Help us to give you everything. Help us to receive all that you are all that you have for us, Lord, with full commitment. In Jesus' name. You have anything else? No. God bless you. God bless you.